0: This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the evening worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for July 9th, 2023. The title of the message is Saved to Teach, Part 3, Younger Women. Well, we continue in our uh, evening series through the pastoral letters. We are in Titus. If you turn with me to Titus, Chapter 2. We are now in our third message uh, in these eight verses. Uh, the previous two sections, we looked at uh, teaching, uh, what, teaching what accords with sound doctrine and, and how that practically applies to people's lives with regards to older men, how, are they, how they are to conduct themselves. Uh, And in doing so, they teach the whole church. And then in verse 3, older women, how they are to behave, as well as teaching what is good to the younger women. And so last week, I talked about how older women can teach the younger women here in verses 3 and 4 and 5. And this week, I'm going to take these same verses and look at how the younger woman can receive this teaching from the older women, uh, what it means uh, and what it, what it looks like in their lives, or uh, at least you know, the best as I can, and, uh, and then also really challenge um, uh, the younger and older women in our church to apply these verses uh, specifically and practically uh, in the life of our church. Uh, there does there doesn 't need to be a program necessarily, but I think you know sometimes you know the older women uh, could uh, intentionally seek out or maybe vice versa and and pass on uh, you know the, the, the grace of the gospel that they have experienced and, and how all that they have learned over the years uh, to teach uh, what is good and then for the younger women to receive it. So here now then the reading of God's word beginning in verse 1 all the way to verse 8, and I'll be uh, teaching on verses uh, 3 to 5. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the younger women, the young women, to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Uh, Thus is the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it this evening. You know, during the pandemic, COVID was not the only contagion plaguing uh, our lives. When the lockdown happened, it seemed like the whole world had shut down and sheltered in. And in the past, uh, you know, the last... Uh, pand- the influenza uh, pandemic of the early 1900s, you know, when when they uh, had, when they um, shut everything down and made people shelter in, you know, there was, you know, radio. Uh, you know, there were books. You know, people read by candlelight, depending on where they lived. Uh, there wasn't the internet. There wasn't television. There wasn't uh, uh, mobile devices. There wasn't social media. And so people spent uh their time uh less focused in on themselves right but in the recent lockdown because we did have the internet because we did have social media uh, because people did have uh their 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 uh mobile devices and cell phones they were completely turned in on themselves um And in particular, when it came to the contagion of uh, radical feminist uh, and transgender ideology and propaganda, uh, the group who bore the brunt of that contagion were middle school girls from 13 to 17 years. And during and right after that time, there was a rise in what was called quick onset gender dysphoria, which shot up among men a thousand percent. And... For women, gender dysphoria among women it shot up four 400%. four thousand four hundred percent. And when and when these impressionable young girls, who were already depressed and d- disillusioned with themselves, um, the, in came these these uh, transgender activists telling young girls that if they were depressed and disillusioned, maybe it's because they are struggling with gender dysphoria. And so these impressionable young girls who don't know any better, who already uh, hate their bodies, right? I mean Instagram apparently uh, uh, is, has made women uh, – has, has uh, set up an ideal of what women's bodies ought to be that every, that every average young girl who looks on Instagram uh, sees that, that, that they will never have that kind of body. And so they have eating disorders and they hate themselves – And, and so, um, so they're already depressed and disillusioned, and so they wonder if maybe they are struggling with gender dysphoria. Maybe they are transgender. One girl, uh, Ash Eskridge, a depressed 12-year-old girl fell victim to all of this, and she transitioned to become a man, and, but, but she later realized that she wasn't. She realized that as she was going through these therapies, as her voice was dropping from uh, 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 artificial testosterone, when she started dressing up as a man, she realized that, that she, she felt uncomfortable trying to be a man. And so she changed her mind and detransitioned. And it was really hard on her body. And now she, she realizes that she was brainwashed by the, by the social media. And so, um, so she's telling her story of detransition and of, of brainwashing on social media sites. And such is the vulnerability of young women in our culture. That there are pitfalls that they, that, that they can succumb to in our culture that they have to be aware of. And who is going to help them if not uh, the church, and in, in particular, if not, the older, wiser, more go- godly women in the church of Jesus Christ who've gone through it all. And so even the young women in our church are, are not immune to, to what's going on in the world. And so here tonight, the Apostle Paul shows us how to counter this brainwashing propaganda, how to teach young women what is good and right. Right. And so tonight I want to speak to how the younger women can learn from the older women uh, what these things, how how to to teach and to learn what is good and how to obey and honor and glorify God in these verses, uh, the latter half of verse 3 and verse 4 and 5. So let's take a look at how Younger women ought to learn from the older women in these verses. First, older women need to teach and train younger women how to love their husbands and their children. I, I think it's, it is deliberate that, that the Apostle Paul begins his specific application with the family. Because that is how Satan tries to undermine the Church of Jesus Christ and the Gospel by undermining the visible representation of the gospel in marriages. And so older women are to teach and train the young women to love their husbands. And again, this is a practical application of how the gospel makes a difference in people's lives. It's not simply be a better husband and be a better wife. It's how the gospel shapes a Christian marriage to where the love of Jesus Christ, the love that he has for his bride, the church, is demonstrated, is exemplified, is is shown forth uh, in a Christian marriage, in a Christian way. And so we, particularly as Christians, embody and illustrate the gospel in our marriages. And this is what we see over, you know, in particular and more more pointedly and more expansively in Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 33, and Colossians 3, 19, and here. And so Paul speaks primarily in those verses, in those sections, to men, right? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Uh, it, the the accent there is on the men's role. But here, it's specifically the women. He doesn't really address the men here. And so it gives us a unique perspective. And I think, I think uh, one way to look at it is, is that I think the fact that Paul has to tell the older, older women to, to teach and train the younger women to love their husbands means that they need to love their husbands. That it's, it doesn't come naturally. That it's hard. Right? um because if they didn't need to know it then Paul wouldn't need to say it so and and and, and when we think about in our own day and age that's a hard thing for i, I, I think we might we might take it for granted or, or maybe we gloss over how hard it is but it's hard for a wife to love her husband it's hard for one sinner to love another sinner right and for some, for some husbands, I'm sure it's easier, and for some it's much, much harder because they're harder to be with. And so Paul is speaking here to the women who are either already married and maybe um, they're not following the scriptures in, in demonstrating and in loving their husbands and children, uh, or he's speaking as well, speaking to the younger women who are preparing for marriage, right? I think it's important for us to, you know, not every woman uh, will get married, right? That uh, Paul says it's better to be single. But if, you, if you're if you not gifted with being single, you know, it's better to get married rather than to burn with lust. Uh, and he even tells widows, you know, It's better to be like me, to be single, so that you can be single-minded in the work for the church. But if you are going to get married, make sure to get married in the Lord. So it's incumbent upon older women, and and, you know, under the auspices of the ministry of a local church, to teach young women how to be married and prepare for marriage, to to prepare for the realities of marriage. And let me just say, let me just uh, interject here one thing. Uh, when whenever I give um premarital counseling, one of the first things I tell them is that 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 uh while they're all goo goo-eyed towards each other, you know, that they can do the, the other person can do no wrong, you know. And I tell them, you know what, this is only gonna last for maybe a year, maybe two, and then the, the realities of marriage will kick in. That you will realize. How much of a sinner you are, and how much of a sinner the other one is, and um, and marriage is going to reveal how deep, deeply rooted those sins really are. You're going to realize how sinfully self-centered and selfish you really are, um, when you get married. But you won't know any of that until you get married. So I warn those couples. I warn those couples. You know. Um you know it's going to be hard. you guys need to learn how to how do you love one another uh, even in the midst of your sins and your faults and your blemishes so so what paul is the the underlying love that Paul is calling uh the older the these younger women to love their husbands is the love the the love that is demonstrated and grounded in and anchored in the love of Christ for his bride and the the love of the bride for her Savior, for her Lord. And it is in in that context that young women are to learn uh, how to love their husbands, to love a sinner who doesn't deserve our love, right? If, if you're, you know, just like, just like us, you know, we don't deserve God's love, but yet he loves us anyway, right? And um, he loves sinners even though we continue to sin and rebel against him over and over, and yet he still loves us. And so young women are, ought to learn to, how to love their broken, imperfect, sinful, fault-filled husbands who don't deserve their love. But yet you love them anyway. And in doing this, when they when when that 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 deep grace-filled gospel love that a wife shows her sinful husband and how it can transform the marriage, right? It's not always going to be like that. I think it's it's this kind of gospel love that can really shape both parties. It shapes us into more—it shapes the wives probably into more patient, compassionate, kind wives because, you know— There's nothing like seeing um, how a sinner treats you and how you treat treat the Lord in your sin to where you understand the depth of of grace when you forgive your sinful uh, spouse and how God forgives us. And when that kind of grace-filled love is expressed and exercised in a marriage, uh, the children see the gospel displayed. Now let me make a, a, just a few remarks here about the order and the priority here. Uh, notice first how Paul mentions loving husbands first, right, before loving children. And this reflects the biblical order and priority of the marital bond that becomes the foundation in which we love our children. Right? It doesn't say love your children and your husband as if you know, children are first and the husbands come second. No, he says husbands first because it is on that foundation of marital love that then and only then can you truly love your children to where they can flourish in that gospel love and environment that you've set up between a, 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 wife, a husband and a wife. And so this is this is the hierarchy of love in a Christian family: God first, husband, and then children. If if you're the wife, and we get into a lot of trouble when we when we um, change that order, right? For example, if wives put children first before husbands, then you know we shouldn't be surprised when the husband, uh, uh, you know, has trouble with that and the foundation of the marriage is no longer there, right? Because you may not be committing adultery, but someone else is in between the husband and wife, your children. And, and, and we turn our children into idols to where we, we wait on them hand and foot and we ignore the other person. And maybe another way to think about it too is if there's no foundation of, of love between the husband and wife, then it's then your love for your children will not be as full and complete as it could be. The children are not getting the full, the full uh gambit or the full spectrum of the love that they need with a husband and a wife in the, in the context of marital love. Um, so that's why, for example, no matter how you cut it, the statistics don't lie that. Children raised in a, in a, in a, in a divorced home uh, fall uh, – they fall and decline in every metric that one could make, one could, could study. They're behind in their education. They're behind in their emotional and psychological um, uh, metrics. They're you – know, they um, are more prone to drop out of high school and not go to college, go into drugs and alcohol. Um, and this is the epidemic of of, uh, broken homes and and divorced families. Uh, Wives, you will love your children best and most only when you give them the security of a strong marriage. And how do you do that? You love your husband first, so you can give them uh, that security of love uh, of a mother and a father. And you can only truly love your family if you love God first. Okay, you will never love your family the way you should if you put them ahead of God. Uh, if you put them ahead of God, your love for God—you know—that's the very definition of breaking the first and second commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. <laughs> right? Uh, sometimes I, you can think about it in terms of of. Uh, before in terms of in front of me or before me in terms of priority. And, and so we turn, we turn our, our marriages and our children into idols and when we put all of our hopes and dreams and, and, and identity into our children or even our, our spouses, then we turn them into gods trying to fulfill our hopes and dreams and we put place upon them a burden that they can never bear. And they will always fall short and and we will feel devastated. It will be so burdensome on our children that um, it's going to break them as well. And so the order is God first, husbands, children. Um, and so this is how... The gospel ought to be applied in our lives. As we see young wives learning uh, to love their husbands just as Christ loved the, as the, Christ loved the church and the bride loves, loves, loves her, her uh, uh, husband, <coughs> bridegroom. As we see it expressed and manifested in our own lives, we testify to the love of Christ in the gospel uh, to the spouse and for wives, particularly to the husbands and our children. And even more than that, to our friends, to our family, to our churches, to our communities, that uh, we are proclaiming the gospel in the way that we love one another. Um, <coughs> and as as wives, you know, as young wives love their children as a mother loves their children, as they love with, with uh, an unconditional love of a parent um, – young mothers model for them the deep love of God the father right they teach us how to parent how how they teach us how parents illustrate the father's love for us you see when you learn to lovingly discipline your children you teach them how God disciplines those whom he loves you see that that's how wives and mothers in particular ought to love their children to love them in a gospel way by disciplining them with love. Uh, Hebrews 12 puts it this way. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, right? In other words, if you don't love your child by, by not disciplining them and letting them get away with, with, uh, with whatever they want to do, you're not really loving them. You're enabling them and turning them into rebels. And so what, what Hebrews says is then you are, if you, don't, if you don't discipline your children, then you are an, an illegitimate child and not sons. For our earthly fathers discipline us for a short time as it seemed best, but he disciplines us for our good. For the moment all discipline. Thank you. Thank you very much. As it seemed best, but he disciplines us for our good. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. Older women also need to model for younger women characteristics of godliness, right? He begins with self control, right? And let me just uh, make a short comment here. Uh, Our culture is anything but about self control uh charles taylor um and uh and more recent philosophers and sociologists have described the uh the zeitgeist the spirit of our age uh in terms of and, and call they call it uh, uh expressive uh individualism or, or uh, uh, uh express uh, experiential expressivism in other words in, in other words you know um to be your authentic self, no matter what the reality is. That, uh, that rules and laws and, and moral customs are simply that. They're just customs made up by people to oppress you, to keep you from being who you really are. And so, so true authenticity uh, in the modern world is you do what you think you, what makes you feel good. No matter what your biology is, right? If you if you're born a, a male and you think you're a female, then you're a female. And so there's so there's no there's no self control. There's nothing holding you from from going after your passions and doing what only what you, what you think is right. Um, and so, uh, so. So older women, we need to teach uh, our younger women how to push back against that current uh, that, that, you, there, that you do need to, to exercise self-control and to be pure, right? That uh, God made you in a certain way and to go against that is to go against who you really are. You know, one of my, one uh, uh, Tim Keller, before he died, and I'd heard this when I was in, in New York City, um, whenever he would kind of advocate for biblical morality, he would put it this way. He would say, you know, God is the one who created us. And the Bible is, is uh, kind of like the manual for, for who we are and how we ought to live. So if, So if we bought a car... And there was a manual that came with it, and it told us to put unleaded gasoline into, into the gas tank, but we decided that we wanted to do what we think is right, and we decided to put you know, we, we decided to put that water in the gas tank. What would happen? You would ruin the car. You would ruin the engine. And that's the same idea behind um, God's prescription of biblical morality for how we ought to live as people, that God made us to be men, and we can't just simply go against that and say, oh, no, no, we're women, and so we can get all the surgeries we need to, to, to modify our bodies, but hey, you'll still have an X, X chromosome. You'll still be XY, if, you know, depending on what your, what, what your sex is. Um, and, and so the emperor has no clothes, And then uh, Paul goes on to say younger women ought to also learn to work at home. And I touched on this uh, last week, but the only thing I want to say is that um, it, it, another way to think about it is to be productive at home. And it's not exclusively at home, although it includes that. So it can it can have a very expansive or more narrow view of what it means to work at home, uh, and, um, and so it doesn't preclude women from, from working outside the home. It just means that at the bare minimum, they ought to be able to be productive and do the things that need to be done at home. Um, younger women also need to learn to be kind and submissive to their own husbands so the word of God may not be reviled. Again, it's, it's, um, it's a kindness. Uh, it's a characteristic of the gospel, right? It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness uh, by which he gives us his love and his grace. It's God's kindness that he put off Judgment Day uh, on that fateful day in the Garden of Eden. Instead of destroying all of humanity as soon as Adam and Eve ate the fruit, ate of the forbidden fruit, uh, he held back his wrath so that his grace might come and sinners might be saved. Isn't that amazing? And so uh, because of that kindness in the gospel, uh, younger women uh, need to learn to express and to exercise that kindness towards the sinners around them. Um, And then he goes on to say, to talk about, submission to your own husbands and and so again just touching on on this um that it's hard again it's hard to love uh, your husband because he is a sinner just like you are and if you can say that you're easy to love then maybe it's a different maybe you know maybe it's you know you you feel like your husband should be more easy to love because you're easier to love but maybe but maybe you're not that easy to love because you're a sinner. You know, um, I dare you to ask, to ask people around you, like, am I easy to love? And, and I think, I think they'll say yes, but uh, maybe they'll qualify it. You know, <laughs> you're easier to love now because you're more, you know, God has really done a, a great work in your life. You know, um, but, uh, but let me tell you what submission is not. OK, because because submission is such a loaded term uh, in our culture, it, it, it's it's associated with oppression and injustice uh, to and, and to subjugate uh, women in, in the marriage and in the home and in the, in the in the culture. So let me tell you what submission is not. It doesn't mean letting the husband become the dictator A husband should lead his wife as Christ leads his bride. And how does he do that? In a gentle, loving, servant leadership kind of way. He's not a despotic dictator where his word is law. Right? Whenever you see the Lord uh, speaking to sinners, it's always with, with a gentle love. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly. Right? Or he tells his apostles, you know, that the Gentiles lord it over their people. But such is not the way it is for you. We don't lord it over people. We love them uh, into, I guess you might say, you know, for lack of a better word, you love them into a joyful submission. You woo them with your love for them. And it doesn't mean that wives should be pushed around as if submission means slavery. No, submission means voluntarily being led and submitting your life under your husband's headship because you are ultimately submitting to Jesus and not to your husband for his own sake. Right? Jesus is Lord. And um, your husband, uh, he may have a title as Lord, right? Because Sarah called her husband Lord, but um, but a small L Lord, not a big L, right? The only one who gets that kind of uh, fealty, you know, is Jesus, not your husband. Uh, and, and so it doesn't mean you can't have an opinion or discuss and debate any given choice or decision, It means being able to offer up your perspective, to dialogue, to argue from a biblical perspective. And when all is said and done, your husband, if he's a godly husband, will trust the Lord, and you can trust the Lord uh, and trust him to make the best decision possible, even when you don't agree. Does that make sense? Uh, You know, I I think sometimes we turn submission into blind, you know, blind loyalty. But uh, that's not the case. That's not the case. Um, that that um, if a husband is wise and humble, he'll, 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 he'll discuss with his wife and, and take into consideration her perspective and her wisdom. Because if, if the wife is the helpmate to the husband and she compliments and completes him, then where he is foolish, she will be wise. And she will give us a perspective, better perspective, than if we didn't have it. And so only a fool would ignore his wife's wisdom and input and make a decision without her help. Jesus said that his headship is not like the Gentiles. It is not by fiat, but by but but with a loving and gentle uh, invitation and command. And so submission then is ultimately grounded in the submission and headship of Christ uh, to uh, the submission and headship of the bride to the headship of Christ. This means the wife submits not just her will, but her gifts and abilities under his loving headship. The husband should lead his wife in such a way that she is the best version of herself and her her, uh, submission uh, makes it so that the husband is the best version of himself. You see that? Because God made it so that so that they complement each other and together they are complete. That is why Ephesians 5 says that the two shall become one flesh. They're not just connected, but they become one in the mystery, the profound mystery of the gospel in marriage. Um, Again, it's not an oppressive leadership, but a loving leadership that reflects... Uh, how God created us. And let me reiterate that when we think of submission, we shouldn't think of it as authority to, to, to push and get our way, but to serve as Christ loved and serves us. And let me close then with why this is all so important. When we don't teach what is good, when older women don't model and teach young women how to do all these things, it reflects badly on the truth and the efficacy of God's word. People will extrapolate backwards that if the proof is in the pudding, then when we see, when we don't see, when we see the young women not learning from the older women, older women, and not um, and not learning what is good, and not being trained to love their husbands and their children, to not be self-controlled, to not be pure, not work at home, not be kind, and not be submissive to their own husbands, then what they're going to say is, you know, the word of God is 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 gonna, is messing you up. The word of God is not helping you. It's, you know, if, if that's what it means to live by the word of God, the unbeliever is going to say, I don't want anything to do with that. And so it's going to be reviled. But what, what, but what you want to do is when you apply these to the life of, of the believer, and particularly here, the younger women, and when people see the beauty of what how that bears fruit in the life of the younger women in the church, to their as they love their husbands, as they love their children, as they are pure, self-controlled, kind, then the unbelieving world is going to look at the transformative, glory and beauty and goodness of that transformed life under the the gospel of Jesus Christ by the power of God's grace they are going to say you know what that is beautiful who is this Jesus that you serve how wonderful is it the word of God under which you live that your life is so beautiful it's not perfect but it's beautiful. I've never seen that in my life, except by a Christian. And so, instead of reviling God's word, they are going to embrace God's word, and they're going to say, "You know what? I want. I want to. I want to. I want a taste of that. That that's beautiful." And many many of a uh, many of uh, a, a, a Christian was converted because they tasted the sweet and wonderful fruit of a Christian life lived under the transforming grace of the gospel. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for these truths. We ask that you would uh, imprint them into the hearts of our older and younger women and that, uh, that the rest of us can take away what we need to by implication, Lord, help us not to cause the word of God to be reviled, uh, but to be, uh, but to be, uh, to be beloved, to be embraced. Bless us this evening in Jesus' name. We pray, Amen.